In the immortal words of the Go-Go's, vacation, all I ever wanted, vacation had to get away. I'm Chris Mikowski, and today on the Emerging Civil War podcast, we're going to go on vacation with Phil Greenwald, who's going to visit some of the Western battlefields for the first time and share his impressions with us today on the Emerging Civil War podcast. Hi, everyone. This is Ted Savas. I'm the owner and director of Savas Beatty, the publisher you trust for the best in military history and especially the American Civil War. This is just a quick reminder that if you enjoy niche specialty craft books like the kind we produce, great original content, superb writing, original maps, footnotes at the bottom of the page, outstanding layout and jacket designs, and much more, then we would really appreciate your support by ordering directly from us through our website at SavasBeatty.com or by calling us at 916-941-6896. Producing books is a true labor of love. Your direct support definitely benefits our authors in ways you can't imagine and allows us to keep publishing the books you love. Thank you. We appreciate your support more than I can possibly express. Welcome to the Emerging Civil War podcast. I'm Chris Mikowski and joining me from Florida is my good pal Phil Greenwald, the Jolly Green Giant. How you doing, pal? A little warm, but uh, it's expected here in South Florida, so we're still in our summer season. Very good. You uh, you actually got a, a taste of summer season by going all across the uh, Western theater here recently, didn't you? I did. Um, I actually, at the end of the conclusion of the trip, I realized if I had snuck in Texas, I'd been to every seceded Confederate state and uh, two of the three of the four border states as well. So didn't make it to Missouri well, or Texas. You went through West Virginia, which acts like a seceded state. So it, it seceded from something. It just. <laughs> That's right. It's seceded from secession, as the uh, the new book says. Actually, I think there's a good book that just recently came out about that from uh, from a fellow ECW author, isn't there? Uh, indeed. From secession. So, um, so uh, actually, I think I've got it right here. Uh, just coincidentally, we're not talking about this today. Seceding from secession: the Civil War politics and the creation of West Virginia. Uh, it's by Eric Wittenberg, Edmund Sargas, and Penny Barrick. Since we're talking about it. But uh, what I wanted to talk about today was uh, basically, this is going to be Phil's version of the grade school essay, What I Did This Summer. Or what I did in seven days that was too crazy, uh, that wasn't even planned, I think. So. But uh, yeah, wow, it's been a few years since I've had to answer that question on, uh, in writing. I mean, do people still use notebook paper or did, uh <laughs> uh, that's when I had to respond to it. It was in this nice, like, remember those three line notebook paper things? Yeah. Prices are cursive. Yeah. That's the last time I answered that question. That paper is still in, in vogue. So, and of course, you've just mentioned the use of cursive. And I know that several of our viewers and listeners just said they don't teach cursive anymore. I know that just went through someone's head. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. uh, you, you came to the, the Emerging Civil War virtual symposium and then decided to road trip. Tell us a little bit about it. I did. Uh, so, uh, try the initial plan was yes, uh, come up to uh, the virtual symposium, 
um, see the uh, ECW crew, um, and also then to visit um, the family in uh, in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, with what went on with COVID, my sister had come back from overseas, um, and uh, so uh, that was the genesis of the trip. And then I realized that I've always wanted to go see like some of the battlefields in the West. And one thing that COVID has this whole pandemic has taught me is you can't plan for a rainy day because suddenly six months of your life, I mean, so much has changed. So, um, and also it was kind of an experiment to see what states I would actually be allowed in because you hear all these rumors about, oh, you can't go into this state or can't go into that state. So I figured I'd drive to whatever state would let me in, see the sites, drive the next one, um, and so forth. Um, uh, or as the girlfriend said, I was probably the, uh, the longest Uber uh, delivery ever because uh, her best friend from college was having a baby and they needed to get a baby shower gift from Fort Myers, Florida to um, Westminster, Maryland. So I had to drive it as well. So I went through about eight, no, five states, excuse me, with a whole baby shower get up in the back seat. And none of the guys at ECW uh, actually made fun of me, which I was uh, glad about wondering uh, if I would get any questions of why there's a whole bunch of baby stuff in the back seat of my car, so. Yeah, Phil, is there something going on at home that you're not telling us about? No, uh, not at all. Um, yeah, well, I've no, got so. a three-year-old and a brand new granddaughter, so I'm in no place to <laughs> harass anybody about baby stuff. So yeah, no, that was, uh, so it was a conglomerate of a trip as, as well, and um, there's also a time to, um, to kind of, use the road trip to, to think through some things, to uh, just have time to disconnect because I'm a big proponent of not trying to text or uh, use social media when on the road. Um, I don't, won't say I do it all the time, but I don't want to self-incriminate myself, but it was time to kind of just detach and, and see America. So 13 states, eight days, and made it back for a, uh, a socially distant rock concert uh, in South Florida So um, that the girlfriend was playing in. Yeah, so that, that you didn't necessarily have a choice about going to the concert, correct? Uh, no, she said uh, there was two shows because they were socially distancing. They said, uh, can you be back here by 8 o'clock? And then I thought, uh, sure. So Boca Raton had to be back at 8 o'clock, um, which meant also building in an hour because I was coming the day before from Mobile, Alabama, which is in Central Time. So I had to make sure that I counted for that hour back into my life um, as well. And I actually got there for the first show, so I was able to uh, – film it for some of her family who weren't able to make the trip. And then I could sit around and enjoy the second show without having um, to worry about filming or capturing that video because you can't make mother upset. So I didn't want to like miss a song and um, <laughs> receive some uh, nasty uh, uh, questions from uh, her mother. So yeah, it was kind of a way to end um, a great week and a half. Now, this wasn't just like Phil wandering around America in uh, Travels with Charlie style. You actually did hit up a bunch of Civil War stuff, which is why we wanted to talk a little bit today. Yeah. So um, kind of connect the dots for us. What did you see and, and where'd you go? Certainly. So um, and it was basically the Civil War bucket list item of the West. Um, I'd, um, my father years ago had gone to uh, like Shiloh and um, Pittsburgh and always talked about how amazing his battlefields were. Um, I had two good friends who worked for the Park Service at Fort Donaldson, um, and uh, one of them has been kicking around an idea about possibly adding a book to the ECW's S series about Fort Donaldson. And I said, well, I have this time. Let me let me go see these battlefields. You read so much about them. Um, you, uh, I mean, there's great books about it. And being from Baltimore and studying most of the um, 
Houston Theater, uh, wanted to experience um, kind of where, as I think it was Kendall Goddard, one of them said, where the war was lost or won, depending on which way you, you look at it. So yeah, the trip started on uh, a Monday morning. Um, I, I went down the beautiful uh, Senadel Valley. Um, I also have this fascination with finding um, quote unquote, this is probably not PC, uh, dead white guys, uh, Confederate generals. Um, there's an old publication, Confederates at Rest. It's also a great place. I knew it would be a good social distance activity because not many people are wandering around graveyards. And so I had to add uh, a few stops in of that. Um, went to one of the highest elevations that a Confederate encampment was ever at, Camp Johnson, Camp Allegheny, uh, as I crossed out of Harrisonburg going into West Virginia. Um, Try to see Rich Mountain Battlefield, but they were working on the road, and my rental car start, started to um, have difficulty on the gravel road going up there. Um, and I looked, I had no cell phone service. I thought um, the better part of valor is discretion. I don't, don't want to uh, get stuck in the, the middle of West Virginia. Um, then I went into Kentucky, and that was where I really uh, started to come up with this idea. We always hear um, how much John, Albert City Johnson had to cover. Um, this whole Appalachian and Mississippi River. And being in, uh, cutting my teeth in Civil War history at the battlefields in Virginia and Maryland, um, we have a different definition of what space. And so on Tuesday of that trip, I actually drove from one side of Kentucky, out of the suburbs of Lexington, all the way to uh, Paducah or Paducah or however you pronounce it, uh, on the uh, other side of the coast, and then dropped down into Tennessee. And I realized, yeah, I went kind of like this, but I still was going across almost that whole defensive line that, um, that Johnson had to cover. And I did it in a car, and it took me four hours with only one uh, break for gas. And at the end of it, it was, I mean, there was a lot of open, excuse me, a lot of open space. And I just realized that here's a guy who, had, for the first time, has to command large open area, command large forces, command political appointees, raw recruits, and then defend everything that um, points directly at the heart of the Confederacy. The rivers go the wrong way. Um, the, uh, the, the railroads don't go the right way. And that really got me thinking as I went into um, uh, south, northwest Tennessee, and hit Fort Henry, or, what, or let me rephrase that. I saw where Fort Henry used to be. Because, <laughs> uh, uh, I didn't pack anything to go swimming. Um, I was thought about a kayak and going out and sitting there and giving the first like kayak tour ECW uh, Facebook Live, but um, couldn't find a uh, kayak. Um, didn't plan that far ahead. But just just the um, um, just visiting Fort Donaldson, which was uh, uh, just more than I expected. I, I had been told about it. I had been told that the visitor center wasn't open. Um, it was nice to see a few other people out. Um, just to connect with uh, one guy who had worked for um, the TVA for like 40 years in a power plant, happened to be uh, watching a bird from the water batteries. And he said, uh, I was sitting there uh, taking some pictures and reading the signs. And he was saying, oh, if you really want, here's some pictures of what it looked like 40 years ago before the, the river expanded, see this. And so he gave me like a de facto tour of what the river might've looked like in 1862 compared to what it looks like now in 2020. And it just, this was something like, you know what, here I drove four, uh, four hours across Kentucky down into Fort Donaldson and happened to be there on the same day on a random Tuesday that this guy happened to be there. He said he comes out to the battlefield once a week or once every other week. We just kind of connected and, and talked about that and 
what would have went on because it was about 85 degrees so it was exactly opposite of what the weather was like <laughs> um but it also yeah it's just it's it's one of those places where it's amazing how much i'm always amazed at how peaceful battlefields can be and we always i mean you try to imagine the uh the carnage that went on and the water batteries i mean firing and the ironclads come up the river as i'm sitting there trying to get the picture in my head um i hear like a disturbance in the tall grass and there's a fox come out chasing a rabbit um and there's a few bald eagles nesting and you're thinking what this is just completely difference of um the preservation some deer are up on the embankment not paying attention to the sign about staying off the earthworks they're walking across it so I figured they're, uh, they're northern deer invading the Confederate trench line. Um, but just, and then to see the, um, the Dover Hotel, uh, which I'm obviously you couldn't get into or whatever. Um, and uh, I don't want to get too much into the weeds, but um, there was a uh, heated discussion going on there as well between a, a couple that was trying to solve something. And I figured, well, that's if they put on some beards and wool uniforms they could have been Buckner and Grant and uh but it's that so still still a place of peace I guess uh the Dover Hotel and the picnic benches outside uh but just to be there with um hindsight realizing this is where you left to this Grant kind of starts to that become gets his nickname I mean unconditional surrender and he would have walked maybe through that front door walked down to see that view and would he have ever known how far he was going to reach in the next what six years of his life from that Northwest Tennessee post to the highest post in the, in the United States as president, uh, the, what, the 18th president of the United States. So, uh, so yeah, Fort Henry and Fort Donaldson was, uh, and also went into Fort Hyman uh, across the river in Kentucky. Um, that was all very interesting to see. Um, before we leave that area, uh, Paducah was where apparently some of the, um, uh, what Lewis and Clark, or George, I'm sorry, George Rogers Clark stepped off into uh, for some of the uh, Red War stuff. So you have that melding of the, uh, the, the rivers or and the wars there and, and so forth so the first time i ever came down through that area i came down through the um the area called the land between the lakes and uh that's the first time i saw a buffalo herd out in the wild um which is pretty cool that is uh no buffalo this time saw a bunch of other wildlife but uh no buffalo there um or bison or whatever you want to call them so um so yeah that was um that was the first few days so I, after that i realized that i was just spending I thought the next day in, um, in just in Tennessee and um, wanted to go to Shiloh and was told that Shiloh was an all day thing. And um, it is, um, it is one of the most, and reminded me a lot of, I wanna say like, if I'd make a comparison, Antietam in the East, where it's still out in the middle of nowhere, um, a lot of uh, decent monuments, but not over monumented, if that's a word we can use. Um, it was also interesting to us, they had uh, kind of been forgotten in, in time in a way that it was the only park service bookstore that was open. Um, they were actually allowing people in, the visitor center was open. Um, so was, they had gotten some waiver and no one told them that they couldn't have this waiver. So they were operating like, uh, they were, I mean, obviously had plexiglass and all that up, but it was uh, interesting to actually walk into a bookstore. So obviously you can see behind me, I have a few books. So. I did have to make a purchase to support the National Park Service. So um, did see a book about uh, Grant's last battle there. So I don't know if uh, um, who wrote that one, but it uh, there was only one copy left, one or two copies left. So, um, but what made it interesting with, uh, with Shiloh was that uh, 
for me especially was the um, seeing monuments for states that I never really experienced before, Iowa, um, for instance, uh, how many troops from Iowa were there, um, but also uh, uncovering an interesting fact that connected something for me and that there was actually a battalion of Florida soldiers there, the first Florida battalion, and one of the guys that commanded it um, after the major was wounded was a transplanted Marylander, um, uh, Captain Poole. And so he led them through most of April 6th, the fighting. And he had to relinquish command on April 7th because um, he had uh, yelled himself hoarse and he could not talk on the 7th. But he could still fight, he said, but he couldn't talk. And I thought maybe that's the last time a Marylander has relinquished anything because he couldn't talk. So, um, <laughs> but uh, just this, the, the be at places where you, you read again, like the hornet's nest or um, trying uh, even on the roads there, you can understand why Wallace got lost a little bit uh, and, and everything. It's still, uh, but uh, even before Shiloh, you get off the exit there on I-40 and there's a big sign for the Battle of Parker's Crossroads. And so I stumbled upon a Civil War battlefield about Nathan Bedford Forrest there, I think it was late 1863 and uh, he little to um, a lady, very welcoming lady right off the interstate, literally, uh, it's a neat little visitor center run by the county and the, and, the, and the preservation society there. They got like an eight stop driving tour and walking trail. And I felt really bad because I was, didn't even plan to stop. And I was like, well, on the way to Shiloh. And she goes, you don't know how many times we hear that. Well, let us show you our battlefield. <laughs> how many times have that not worked for somebody going, yeah, let me spend here at Parker's Crossroads. No offense to Forrest, but skip Shiloh. So, um, and then, you know, but you make it sound like, oh, right off the highway, here was uh, Parker's Crossroads as you're on your way to Shiloh. But, like, Shiloh's not right off the highway there. No, it's 50 miles, 40 miles down the road, yeah. So, uh, but it is, uh, it surprised me because being a Park Service uh, employee, there's usually a limit on how far out you can put your signs according to the Department of Transportation. But uh, show that Shiloh is such a uh, place to visit, they had signs that far out about Shiloh Battlefield. Wow. How to get there and everything, so... Uh, which I mean would be, would be very helpful and it drive I don't know how many people get off and then go I'm not driving another 50 miles I thought it was right off the road and then turning around and coming um, coming back on I had a similar experience in South Carolina at Orangeburg to try to see a Revolutionary War battlefield they said oh here's the exit of Orangeburg you get off and it goes it's 47 miles and I went and never mind and you turned uh, right back on to I-95 there so but no definitely worth the stop uh, Parker's especially if you're traveling on I-40 and can't spend the time to get down to Shiloh and you want that little battlefield excursion, Parker's Crossroads right there is definitely worth a stop and probably can do it in a good hour or two walking around, driving and so forth. So very, very well signed and parked there. So, so uh, going back to Shiloh, so that's your first time ever at Shiloh? Yes. First time, um, I mean, I've read a few of the books on it. I have to admit, I haven't read uh, Greg Mertz's Shiloh book yet. Um, but I read a few of the bigger films that's on it. And um, yeah, it was almost exactly what I thought it would be, I guess. Um, out in middle of nowhere, kind of um, the, uh, I thought there'd be a little more about Pittsburgh Landing. Um, wasn't really much uh, there when you went on that site. Um, uh, but otherwise, the, uh, the ground kind of played into what I thought. And it's not a lot of times you get this picture of a battlefield and it's different than what the topography is. but. You, it almost, you could sense the confusing nature of this battle and so forth and, and understand um, 
And one of the new little parts and uh, one of the videos that's coming up later uh, this month is uh, one of the first contact. They have this little trail down there from the little parking lot area. You walk down this trail and then it says at the uh, little wayside that at the other side of this um, open field was where the Confederate skirmishers were coming out that they met the, uh, their union counterparts that um, were out investigating. And you kind of sat there and or stood there and realized that what it would have been like on that morning in April 6th, just kind of, we think there's some out there and then you're this little patrol coming out of soldiers and here comes, I think it was Alabamians uh, leading this attack. I mean, the first thought through your mind of, holy crap, they are coming and or something. Uh, and just seeing that whole field suddenly people materialize out of the wood line would have been, I mean, just awe-inspiring, but also shocking, I guess. So it was really neat uh, to see things like that. Um, and just um, just the amount of uh, monuments that were around the landscape, I guess. It's, I, I'm trying to struggle for the right word there, it's, but it's, it's was the amount of like it was something about like I want to say like caring a little bit like it was a uh, they put these monuments up and it was different than hey here's left flank right flank here's left flank um, so forth but just the amount of detail and everything that are in these monuments um, just kind of spoke to what this battle really meant for these guys that saw a lot of them saw the elephant for one of the first times or the trying to uh, you could see some of the descriptions commemorating what they tried to put down or what this battle meant and just having a lot like I am right now a lack of words to to describe what this two-day slaughter was really about I mean with over 10,000 men falling more than fell in any other war up to that time or and so forth it just it's a it's just an amazing serene landscape I guess I can't really put in the words have to go visit <laughs> it, it really is i think it's just a sublime experience because you get out there and and there are plenty of monuments and markers but it's all so tasteful and it all just sort of feels like it belongs to the landscape and it's not overwhelming and yeah, for uh, sure really really adds to the sense of serenity and peace out there i think so my favorite Civil War monument is actually at Shiloh, the Iowa Monument. You mentioned the Iowa Monuments a few minutes ago. The Iowa Monument, which is right near the Visitor Center, and there is that uh, Statue of Fame, it's called, and she's writing of the Iowa. They have like a little script on the steps, whatever, as it comes down. I was just, uh, we have a new ranger down here in the Everglades who just got here from Iowa, and um, I had to send her a picture saying that how impressive, impressed I was of all the monuments I've seen. That one was one of the the most impressive and um and i know iowa gets a lot of slack but uh this one i think it was some props for so they really made uh she goes thanks and iowa usually doesn't make the news for a good reason so uh, <laughs> i but, love uh, the iowa monument in vicksburg too they've got an incredibly beautiful monument in, in that's your uh, that's a whole we'll we'll talk about uh, uh vicksburg it's a whole um uh different story there so um the hottest i've ever been on a battlefield uh, so so, uh, yeah, the hottest I've ever been in a battlefield was at Vicksburg. But uh, going back to Shiloh, so uh, so how much time did you spend there, and, and what would you recommend for people who've not been to Shiloh before? Um, how should they plan a visit to Shiloh? So uh, they, if you have, um, I, I hate to say, like, if you have one to three hours, here's what here's what Phil Greenwald recommends. Uh, I don't want to sound like um, the travel guy or whatever. Um, but, I mean, the driving tour is, is very um, – uh, inclusive, I guess. It is uh, really great to see. And the way they do it kind of adds a little bit to the confusion of the battle. Um, you got to cross back over and yourself a few times. 
Um, so you start off and, and around and everything. Um, and I think that kind of adds to it a, a little bit, like the nature of how confusing the battle, because they do fight over the same terrain on April 6th and 7th as the Confederates come this way and then get pushed back. Um, the um, uh, visitor center, and uh, if it's open, uh, should be open. I mean, it has, is one of the better ones designed. I mean, obviously all visitor centers can, hey, we need to add more technology or we need to add more tactile exhibits. But it was one of those ones where I think they did a great job of explaining um, what went on there and on the common soldiers upward. So definitely worth a stop. Uh, there's a national cemetery there. Um, part of the programs they give is a cemetery uh, tour going through the, uh, the markers and, and everything. Um, it's also where Ulysses Grants uh, spent the night. Um, they have a, a marker there inside the National Cemetery. So if you're not big on visiting cemeteries, when you visit battlefields, it's sure that you do stop in the one at Shiloh, because you can see where Grant that night uh, and had that conversation with Sherman and so forth on the night of April 6th. Um, but what also adds to um, Shiloh is that the, the get out, um, I mean, of the car at certain stops, uh, the Albert Sidney Johnson death site or uh, the Hornet's Nest or uh, um, site. But also there's ones about um, the uh, even Native American history. There's uh, the Shiloh Mounds there and there's a, a walking trail to go back to see the mounds. And most Civil War historians avoid, hey, I don't have that much time to visit the mounds. But if you go back there, there was a great view of the, um, the what is it, Tennessee River coming down there um, and everything. So it's really just something that I wanted to get a better perspective of, of the river. And so um, climbed one of the, the steps of the mounds and was able to see um, a great perspective of, of the, the there. Um, but also what is, um, what is most striking is the amount of, um, what do you call it, community Confederate graves. Um, there's multiple ones where, hey, there are uh, unknown amount of bodies buried here and there and so forth. And that really, uh, for me, it's something to die for your country and serve your country, but it's something to die and lay in an unknown grave, no matter what side you fight on to give the ultimate, ultimate sacrifice and to basically lay in an unknown grave. Just gives me a minute to realize how many people, if I was transported back 150 years, how many people like me who would have moved through society as a middle-class type person would not have had the family money to send my body home or be found. And so just those are times that for me, uh, you can put aside whatever side you agree on, north, south, whatever your viewpoint is, and sit down and realize that these guys believed in something enough to die and lay in an unknown grave. And it's just that, that Shiloh marking those in multiple places uh, really spoke to me. I know that, that Shiloh's identified five of those mass Confederate graves, but there are a number that um, archaeologists have not been able to actually find. They know they're out there somewhere on the battlefield, but they're, they're not even marked. So it's not only an unmarked, but also a lost unmarked yeah. grave. Um, what a lonely fate that is, I think. Oh, it is. It's, um, and uh, to segue a little bit for just unknown, um, I made a uh, slight detour before I left uh, Lexington, Kentucky and hit Frankfort, Kentucky to see the grave of Simon Bolivar Buckner. And um, because I realized I was going to Fort Donaldson, I've seen Grant's tomb, I should see Buckner's. And Daniel Boone is buried, or supposedly buried right there. He may be still buried in Missouri. But one of the neat things uncovered was, um, and his name's escaping me, but he was a, a Marine and who is responsible for placing the United States flag on foreign soil for the first time. And uh, he uh, landed there in Tripoli Harbor 
and he's planted the flag in 1804 um, there in uh, North Africa. And it's the first time the United States flag was planted on foreign soil. And uh, so uh, for all those former Marines uh, that are watching this, um, they have it well marked. And on one side of the history sign, um, there's like state markers. It talks about them. And on the other side, it's just a big red field with the, the Marine Corps symbol. So you can't miss it if you're in that cemetery in uh, Frankfurt, the capital of Kentucky, that you planted that first flag on foreign soil. But yeah, talking about uh, grave sites and everything. Just, uh, it's interesting. Speaking of grave sites in Kentucky, you also went to see uh, John Breckenridge when you were in Lexington. I did. Um, got to see uh, John uh, Breckenridge. Um, John Hunt uh, Morgan is also uh, uh, there. Basil Duke um, as well, who's uh, kind of what um, escorted Davis near the end of the war um, and so forth. So, uh, did, uh, yeah, I um, try to find as many uh, Confederate uh, graves as possible as I'm traveling through. Um, but um, I do have to get back to the Vicksburg area because. Um, I got out of the car right as um, lightning struck uh, the, uh, nearby uh, in a big major thunderstorm in Jackson, Mississippi, when I was trying to find the grave of William uh, Barksdale. So I figured that was fitting for Barksdale. It was a uh, uh, great rhetoric, uh, fire-breathing type guy. So as soon as I got out of the car, lightning struck. And um, uh, I was like, you know what? This is a sign that I have to come see Barksdale on a, on a better day. So uh, uh, Mr. Barksdale, I'll come get you one of these days. So. Before we leave, I Shiloh, too far behind, I want to just kind of point oh. out uh, Attack at Daylight and Whip Them, The Battle of Shiloh by Greg Mertz, with a foreword by Timothy Smith. Uh, Tim Smith, who won the first ever Emerging Civil War Book Award for his book on Fort Donaldson. Um, Tim Smith is really known for his work on Shiloh and his work on memory and memorialization at Shiloh. He's got some great books. Um, this particular edition of Greg's book, because it's disappearing into the background, is actually a Civil War Trust Preservation Edition. They're trying to do a lot of uh, work out there at Shiloh to fill in just a couple key parts of the battlefield so that that battlefield's integrity is finally complete. So uh, the trust are doing some great work out there. We'll admit, as we're talking about books, I did buy Tim Smith's Shiloh book at Shiloh because I figured there's no better place. So uh, they didn't have Merch's book there, but they had this one. So um, trying to support um, the uh, the masters there of the battlefield uh, uh, writing. Um, and it, it makes it more authentic if you buy it there. I did. Uh, I thought that's my thought, and is uh, well, you cannot cannot not buy Shiloh at Shiloh. So. So from Shiloh, where'd you head next on your trip? Uh, so uh, ducked down into actually Corinth, Mississippi, um, to see the new Civil War, uh, the center there, um, everything. So uh, great little museum. Um, some of the things obviously were off limits because of uh, the, the COVID pandemic. You could go through the museum, but they had a lot of the touch screen thing off or uh, offline. Um, and then walked down into the small little part of the, um, the battlefield there they have of Corinth, which obviously they fight. Um, there and what uh, the major battle in October of 1862. Um, what is interesting too is uh, it became, and a good friend, uh, Joe Ellen, who is a uh, big Texan um, and fellow park ranger, um, I took a, a picture of every Texas monument saying that, look, I did uh, pay my respects to the Texans, like Fort Donaldson, Shiloh, and, uh, and um, Corinth and so forth, trying to find that. It's because of the same type of marble that's used at every battlefield. I think that is uh, pretty unique. So, um, but uh, took a um, field. It was kind of, Corinth was kind of a, can I fit it in type thing? And then I'm spending so much time there that I missed um, my one non-history Civil War excursion 
um, which was trying to uh, make it to uh, Graceland in Memphis. So I got there after the last uh, last tour went out. So end up having good Memphis barbecue on a picnic table outside of the entrance to the Graceland Museum and everything. So it's about as close to uh, Elvis as I got. Um, oh, that's terrible. Because, uh, of course, Graceland's a fantastic stop, but his uh, his childhood home in Tupelo, Mississippi, uh, was also really a really great stop to see, too. I had a choice which way to go, and uh, went that way, and then... Um, but no, of course, it's definitely interesting. Uh, and uh, they have a neat little exhibit um, that so hardline Civil War enthusiasts may uh, grumble at this, but uh, as an interpretive park ranger is always trying to find ways to connect the, uh, the non-hardcore his historians. Um, right outside the museum is, is they have all these little uh, blocks and they're sitting in this water uh, stream and it, it shows the different battles of the different years. And, and then also the Emancipation Proclamations written on one. It kind of shows how all this kind of broke apart. And then at the end, they have like the words of uh, Abraham Lincoln, I think it is written on, on um, about the nation. So it's kind of neat to show how like these little blocks, all stumbling blocks in this waterway led in the uh, passage of time to a more unified country. So kind of gave you a I was gonna say, that's one of my favorite Civil War exhibits anywhere is that fountain out back at uh, the Corinth Visitor Center. It's uh, fantastic. It is, yeah. That was kind of, kind of a neat, uh, Need a little touch, and um, so I have to give a uh, prop to uh, the, the, the National Park Service who signed my paychecks there. So, uh, <laughs> so after spending some time in Corinth, um, keep taking us on your journey. So I um, went into Arkansas a little bit just um, to uh, discover what. Never been to the state of Arkansas, so I um, challenged myself to try to visit a new state and country every year, and I might not make a new country. This year, but I made a, a new state in Arkansas. So, um, but uh, after getting lost and turned around, I realized that Arkansas uh, wanted to keep me longer than I uh, had planned. So I uh, beat back out and made it all the way to Jackson, Mississippi that night. So mm -hmm. I had to put um, down and I figured uh, that would get me into um, uh, Vicksburg early the next day. Um, but uh, one thing I didn't check on the whole trip, and the only day that it happened was I didn't check the weather report, and uh, Vicksburg was. A mess. I mean, it was to the point where there was flood alerts and everything on, um, and the, and that battlefield was half closed. The driving trails and everything because of the uh, pandemic and so forth. Um, there you couldn't get into uh, like the what well, USS Cairo um, Museum. Uh, half the driving tour was uh, closed off. I was actually the only one in the um, uh, on the battlefield for most of the time. Um, I was inside the big Illinois monument um, when. Um, yeah, Illinois or Ohio, the one that's one of the first stops at, at the big mausoleum now. Uh, it's uh, Illinois. Illinois. Yeah, it's okay. I said it, and then I remember seeing Grant in there, and I was like, wait a minute, maybe it's Ohio, and I don't want to get Ohio upset if Mike Peters is watching this. But um, it, uh, it, it was in there when, uh, once again, the skies opened up and lightning happened and everything, and I thought, well, if I do get struck inside this marble uh, monument, at least I'm in good company with Lincoln and and Grant and all the other ones listed on the wall. So um, I was <laughs> impressed with the, the viewpoints through there. Um, the, uh, the the topography, once again, of, of the mounds and everything. And just uh, having visited Petersburg and, and so forth, I was not prepared for the, the level of fortifications that are preserved inside the part of Vicksburg National Military Park um, that I was able to experience. And um, I know I have a few friends working in Vicksburg. I didn't call you up because it was a spur of the moment. Didn't know if I was going to make it to Vicksburg. So I apologize to anyone listening 
to this and going, Bill came through Mississippi and didn't tell me. Um, I'll, be, I'll be back, I promise. But um, the, uh, I did go to the old court uh, with the courthouse museum because, I mean, it was raining buckets, so I might as well uh, go in there. Um, and it was interesting to see the, the collection of stuff they have, including that Vicksburg was um, the first guy who ever uh, packaged shoes. So uh, he had fine leather shoes from Europe and didn't want them to get ruined, so he put them in like tissue paper into a box, and that's how he sold them. So that's where the modern-day shoe box comes from. So uh, you never know what you're going to uh, find when you're uh, visiting these uh, uh, small towns. So Rob, Rob Orison, our, our good friend, uh, told me that the Courthouse Museum was the greatest collection of stuff he had ever seen. And so he's like, you've got to go see it. And I went in there, and he was not lying. No, it's... I mean, yeah, it's amazing what they've shoved into that building. Um, what they've shoe, shoehorned into that shoebox of a building. Hey, there you go. Yeah. Um, including, too, um, oh, um, I was to play on the word scaredy cat, I guess. I was going upstairs, and they have a uh, house, our museum uh, host that is a, uh, a gray furred cat. And I didn't realize that he was laying on, or he or she was laying on one of the display cases. So I was reading one, and I turned around. And this play case was high enough, being six or five, that we saw eye to eye. And I thought, oh, that's a very well uh, taxidermied cat, until the cat just opened its eyes. And so, yeah, um, <laughs> I, uh, I was yelling out in shock, but probably not the only person that's been shocked inside that courthouse in uh, the years that it served uh, the wall there. But yeah, it was, I was like, did not expect to have a cat at eye level and then a cat to open its eyes suddenly, uh, being the only one in the museum. So. Um, I couldn't blame anyone for the, the scream that emanated from my mouth. So, <laughs> Vicksburg is one of those battlefields. Again, you like you've got to want to go there because it's not you know easy driving distance from nearly any place, um, and and it it really deserves more than a day. You know because oh, the driving tour is extensive. The number of monuments and memorials that are there. Some great museums. Um, it, it really deserves a lot of exploration. Then you have the, there's outlying small battlefield sites and, and so forth, and even including um, the reason I added Louisiana to the list was to go see the Grant Canal project, which is down this, um, yeah, um, what I want gravel type road or whatever. You kind of see there's a monument out there as well uh, to some of the troops that helped participate in that, trying to cut the, cut the, what, um, the canal to change the flow of the river. And so um, just that they, that they preserved that little spot over there. So what it, all the ways that Grant tried to take Vicksburg, I mean, and just uh, and just be able to drive back and get that once again that perspective. Um, and also, too, some of the monuments that's off the battlefield, that Confederate Avenue, where they have monuments for each of the uh, the states, including uh, Maryland and so forth, where you drive through and they're just sitting in people's front yards. So it's kind of a kind of an interesting um, uh, kind of way to wrap up Vicksburg, I guess, uh, uh, that afternoon. So I definitely have to go back, especially when it's open past pandemic and when it's not a uh, deluge of rain uh, emanating from the sky. So And, and get one of your buddies to show you around. And, and, uh... Exactly. A um, few good ones there, yeah, too. So Andrew Miller and, uh, and so forth, um, I will be back. So, uh, yeah, um, but it was uh, one of the things I really didn't plan was to actually meet up with people, not to be rude. I just wanted to not be held to a time frame. And if I saw something, I was talking to Kevin Pollock a little bit about it. Well, as historians, we have a plan, but then when you go to a battlefield, we see a brown sign and we can get distracted and go on a tangent for half a day. So 
I didn't really want to tell people, hey, I'd be there Wednesday morning at nine and then find something cool in Tennessee or Kentucky and then have to choose, do I see this or do I rush past it or whatever? So that was part of the plan is just to, to not have a plan, I guess. So from Vicksburg, um, so I cut across um, the Mississippi and uh, went into Alabama, and I um, realized that um, since it was only me and I could take detours, um, the quickest route obviously was to stay on the interstates and get to Mobile, which was a stop for that night. Um, but it was that would um, make me pass the greatest small little town in Alabama that I could visit, and that is Citronelle, Alabama, um, which um, would give me the chance to see the third of the three army surrender sites east of the Mississippi River for, and um, so it's where Richard Taylor surrendered to what Edward R.S. Canby there on, uh, in May of 1865, um, after he hears word of Johnson's surrender at the Bennett place. Um, uh, funny, and uh, so I'm sitting there and uh, I'm, I'm seeing the site and I'm about to film one of the videos you'll see and my phone starts going off and it's um, an ECW uh, follower, uh, Mike Peters, who's uh, very well connected to Central Ohio Civil Roundtable. And he calls me, he goes, Phil, what are you up to? And I said, you're never going to guess where I'm standing right now as I take this call. And uh, I was surprised he didn't say Gettysburg because uh, that would be uh, an obvious. I said, uh, and he goes, I sent out a place random, and uh, which was a good guess. I said, no, Citronelle, Alabama. And he goes, no shit, you're at the uh, surrender site of Taylor? And I went, uh, I am. He goes, are you lost? <laughs> I go, no. <laughs> I wanted to get here on purpose. Um, and so uh, it was all about uh, an upcoming talk at the round table and how we're going to manage it with uh, everything. But uh, it was just interesting yeah, to be there to, about to get that random call from a guy and get, to be able to, uh, to share it with a friend there. But um, not much is there. There's a, a monument, uh, a little marker, a monument or so forth. But um, Taylor was one of those guys that um, – always impressed me, uh, the highest ranking Confederate general, not to attend West Point, um, connected to, of course, the President of the United States, um, fought with Stonewall Jackson, um, managed some of the greatest victories of in uh, the Trans-Mississippi, kind of just him and Stephen Lee are two guys that have always been found fascinating. They tend to be in random places throughout the whole war and just kind of slide through. I mean, and, they, and they're both lieutenant generals, uh, although I think Stephen Lee is never confirmed, but um, yeah, they, um, Taylor is just one of those impressive guys and can be, um, obviously one once again, fought primarily out West and then unfortunately gets, um, killed in a, um, part of what I think the Modoc war or something way out West, um, uh, after the civil war. So just, uh, interesting that the lives of those two men in the middle of nowhere surrendering. Um, and there were some, uh, Confederate Marines and, uh, sailors that surrendered there as well. But, uh, once again, it always strikes me at these surrender sites that, the personal um, gravitas or whatever you want to call it of guys like Joseph Johnston and um, Richard uh, Taylor there, um, and even later on Buckner and then Smith, that um, these guys could have kept it up. I mean, there was nothing to not have a guerrilla style fighting and how much that Breckridge and Johnston and Taylor and these guys just said, no, this is not what we're going to do. We fought this honorably. We're going to surrender honorably and, and go home. That's what's best for the Southern economy and Southern people. But um, I mean, just just that there was not more of a, let's get to the hills than there were type thing. So, I mean, being in the middle of Alabama, you're only 30 minutes north of Mobile, but you could have escaped into the interior and uh, try to make it to the river or whatever. I mean, so. Yeah, that could have been ugly. That could have been yeah, ugly. 
right, for sure. So. Uh, another ECW book. <laughs> Uh, Bert Dunker leaves to the bitter end. Appomattox, Bennett Place, and the Surrenders. And this actually has a couple of chapters in about Richard Taylor's surrender in Alabama and, and Citronelle. And uh, Bert made a special trip down there to, to trace those footsteps, too. So you were a little underwhelmed by what you found in Citronelle, though, as I recall. It was. Um, I mean, obviously, I wasn't expecting an Appomattox. I was expecting something a little more, I guess, on a line of Bennett Place or something, like just a, a state marker or something. And then um yeah it was just um uh luckily hmdb helped me get there but yeah there's not much of a, a signage there or whatnot um there's a boy scout camp there uh right behind it so um that helps with signage but no it um uh, it uh i guess i shouldn't have expected more because it's not i mean it's completely overlooked if you read most of the stuff besides Bert's book it's like okay they surrendered here here there and then out west and so it's, over, it's also overshadowed because it's in um, Davis's capture, I think, what, six days later, May 10th, I think, or something around there, May 10th, May 13th. So it's definitely overshadowed in the annals of the end of the Civil War. But, um, I mean, it is, yeah, an under, underwhelming in a sense, but it's still cool if you have that chance to visit, to see, I mean, here's another sign of that whole closure of the Civil War where it starts to, to wrap up. So. And then it was uh, Damn the Torpedoes on the Mobile. It was. Um, Mobile was actually just kind of a, um, I'm kind of too tired to keep driving and uh, need, a, need a beer because um, I've never had a beer in the state of Alabama. And that's another of my little weird uh, travel ticks is to have a beer in every state. So I um, needed to realize that Mobile would be a good place to uh, hunker down and um, uh, damn the, as you said, damn the torpedoes. But that's uh, also too, I had to pay my specs to, um, the greatest competitor general there ever was who's buried in Mobile, Alabama, and that is Mr. Braxton Bragg. So uh, his, uh, his grave there. And, um, and you said that with a pretty straight face, too. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Braxton Bragg, if you, uh, just from his early career through eighth at Shiloh, he's a hell of a general. It's after Shiloh that it starts to go downhill uh, pretty quick. I mean, in, in West Florida, Pensacola, he's, he's, uh, pretty top-notch there in 1861. Uh, so it speaks that once you leave the state of Florida, your fortunes kind of just go, I don't know, it's probably why I stayed in Florida so far. I'm afraid my fortunes are going to go the way of uh, Braxton Bragg. Um, now, I try to find a few of the other, uh, there's a few generals buried in there, but um, the cemetery uh, was not, is very well laid out, but there's no markers or uh, and everything uh, pointing to or whatever. I found another one, a guy, uh, General Ledbetter, um, that happened to be just beside the road, stumbled into him. But yeah, um, I wanted to get over to, um, to Pensacola um, and try to see that area because in a few years I'll be back for the American Battlefield Trust. I think they're doing a teacher conference um, and trying to check out that area. Um, there are a few Confederate generals buried in Pensacola. Um, so it was Mobile, Pensacola, and then Tallahassee and Natural Bridge was uh, on the agenda that day. And um, uh, part of the reason Tallahassee was that is one of the, the unsung heroes um, of, uh, I call him the Thomas Munford of Confederate Infantry, and that's Colonel David Lang of the, uh, the Florida Brigade. Never reaches that brigadier generalship, but he uh, survives, I mean, the whole war and, uh, leads, and leads the Florida Brigade at that small little battle in southern Pennsylvania in 1863, but he's uh, buried in uh, Tallahassee. And um, I try to get to uh, a guy named Thomas Brevard, uh, Confederate General, 
but um, he is the only general left in the state of Florida that I've not seen. And uh, I, his, the cemetery is apparently only open for, um, uh, you have to get permission from the Episcopal Church. And um, the gate was too high to jump. And the sign that said that if it's called trespassing, it's a $10,000 fine. And uh, I told Mr. Brevard that he's worth it, but he's not worth the $10,000 fine to the Episcopal Church. So um, I would have to write and get permission. But um, also Baron mm -hmm. Cemetery is, the, um, is a relative of Napoleon who actually, um, a, ne a great ne or nephew of Napoleon, who actually immigrated to uh, Florida in the 1820s um, and then became a uh, sign of society. And him and his wife are uh, both buried there. So it's kind of an interesting combination. Uh, obviously the Pensacola area has steep, the Pensacola Tallahassee area is steep with Spanish, French, British, American history um, and so forth. So, um, and then to the, um, the I would like to say the pivotal battle uh, in Florida, one of the two pivotal battles in Florida, the Battle of Natural Bridge there in uh, March of 1865, which is another video that'll be upcoming. Um, it uh, actually sees two Medal of Honor uh, winners um, as well, um, U.S. Uh, Naval uh, sailors, uh, sees African-American troops, and uh, someone that's, that you're familiar with from um, the time around the Chancellorville, Fredericksburg area, old John Newton. Um, yeah. Uh, made a faithful trip to D.C. with what, John Cochran and found himself in command of Key West and South Florida. So, so what happens when you don't obey the chain of command is you get sent, uh, sent to Civil War Purgatory in uh, Key West. Uh, but he tried to raid yeah, into um, um, that part of uh, Florida. And it's, uh, they do a reenactment there. And it's a small little state park. Uh, uh, Natural Bridge is where the uh, St. Um, Mark's River actually goes underground for a little bit. So you can actually cross over a natural bridge. Um, and it leads into Tallahassee, and they were trying to cut, obviously, the railroad and stop Confederate incursions uh, down along the coast, what's called the Cal Calvary. But what makes it very, very interesting in Natural Bridge is um, it is the Florida version of um, Newmarket, because the, well, some of the infantry that marched out is from the Florida Military and Collegiate Institute, which is uh, now Florida State University in Tallahassee. But they're, they're cadets, much like the BMI. They provide the major infantry force besides militia, uh, home guard units, and artillery that the Confederates fight there. Um, so it's kind of um, uh, William Miller, the uh, Confederate commander. But yeah, they fight um, USCT troops there, the 2nd and uh, 99th United States Colored Troops, who um, uh, brazenly attacked Confederate fortifications um, and actually um, come close to actually pushing them out and so forth. So there's a uh, little monument. Nice little picnic area. So, um, they do a reenactment there in uh, March of every year. But yeah, it's, um, it ensures that Tallahassee will be the only Confederate capital east of the Mississippi River to not fall um, to Union forces. And also, um, it will not surrender until uh, actually um, May of 1860, um, May 10th, 1865, when uh, one of the McCooks comes riding in and accepts the surrender of uh, the Confederate government, uh, state government. Although John Millen is the governor of Florida, is already dead uh, by a uh, self-reflected gunshot. So, uh, but yeah, that was uh, Natural Bridge was the last of the quote-unquote major battlefields that I, that I hit. Um, I did make it into Gainesville. Um, there's a small little engagement there. Um, I'm working on a few um, posts about uh, the Swamp Fox of the Confederacy, a guy named J.J. Dickinson, um, who. Um, will uh, ride across the state and fight Union incursions in Gainesville and then turn around and ride back to the St. John's River outside of Jacksonville. 
um, and as part of a company of the Second Florida Calvary, um, and showing that he is Florida's version of Francis Marion or John Mosby or something. Uh, I was trying to get uh, Kevin Pollack to enter into a post debate about who was better, John Mosby or J.J. Dickinson, and get him uh, debating that. But um, I know where popular opinion, unfortunately, would probably go on, on that one there. But Yes, except that, uh, of course, since Mosby became a Republican after the war, you know, his fortunes, his reputational fortunes did suffer. Yes, and Dickinson will actually um, um, probably have better renown after the war outside his state because he's the one that writes the uh, Confederate military history. Uh, I think it's Clement Evans, uh, the volumes that came out. He writes Florida's version, or Florida's portion of that, um, everything. So, um, unfortunately, there's only one full book on J.J. Dickinson, but uh, he is a remarkable guy that um, if he, he wanted to and make it out of the state of Florida, he would have been very, very well known of, uh, on the lines of a, uh, John Hunt Morgan or um, a uh, Bedford Forrest because he had that type of charisma, that type of leadership, but he had become a transplanted um, Floridian and did not see the need. He basically kept Central Florida Confederate, which allowed for um, supplies, including cattle, um, to make it through the Army of Tennessee to, um, to make sure that the railroads and uh, continue to move uh, food and produce produce through the state. Also that uh, the big Confederate convalescent hospital Lake City in northern Florida stayed out of Union uh, hands and also the uh, pivotal bridge across the Sewanee River uh, and so forth. Um, he also captured a gunboat and thought that was pretty cool until he realized that he had no idea how to handle um, a all naval action. Um, so it's kind of like, I got this new toy. All right, this is fun. Um, I'm scuttling this because the Navy's actually coming after me. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's something. Uh, he also, what's interesting is um, he uh, grew up in part of uh, South Carolina around Georgetown, which ironically is where Francis Marion spent some of, uh, especially his Revolutionary War service, trying to capture the town of Georgetown, South Carolina. And it's also kind of randomly where uh, I think Lafayette came through that part of uh, the Carolinas as well. Uh, when he first came to the United States. So you have this like symbolism from of the swap box, which is a cool moniker to have. So, so you've uh, alluded a couple times to some videos and yeah. part of your um, self-prescribed assignment on this trip was to shoot some videos for the ECW YouTube page. So what yeah. can we expect to see when those start rolling out? Um, uh, you can start to see, uh, so I tried to not put me in the image because I figured it was more, uh, the, the scenery was more beautiful than this. Um, if you want to see this in person or on video, then obviously watch this. But um, I did take uh, ones of uh, Shiloh the first day uh, or the first encounter. I uh, tried to take ones around um, Fort Donaldson. Not quite sure how you turned out because um, the gentleman uh, that I ended up having a conversation with cut into part of the video and then couldn't do one at the Dover house because of that other domestic conversation that was going on. Um, so Shiloh, the Johnston site as well. Um, one at near the end of um, the, uh, the last day of Grant um, there on April 6th around the Pittsburgh landing site. Um, I took so many photos and videos that the one at the end of the Pittsburgh landing site, I'll put a disclaimer, is that if it seems rather short and cut off, that's because my iPhone told me that I'd run out of storage. So um, I knew I was close to the end. Um, so I spent every night in a hotel trying to download as many photos and videos as I could. Um, Vicksburg, unfortunately, it was way too rainy to get any videos. Um, 
there's one on Citronelle and there's one on Natural Bridge um, that I took as well. So um, those are the, uh, yeah, those are the, the battlefields. So Shiloh, um, Citronelle, Natural Bridge, um, and possibly one on uh, Fort Donaldson if we can see if we can edit some of the, uh, the stuff out there. So. So we'll get to uh, share, share a little bit of Phil's vacation. Yes. Um, so it was, uh, I mean, it was an amazing experience um, being able to, uh, to see what I was able to see and, and, and travel and so forth for about 4,500 miles on the rental car. Um, so when they gave me the rental car in uh, Fort Myers at the uh, Southwest Florida airport, they said, well, you have unlimited mileage. And I thought in my head, that's going to come back to bite you in the rear end. So that's exactly uh, what happened. So when they gave me unlimited mileage, I put it to the test. The guy goes, you put 4,500 miles on this? And I said, yeah. He goes, where'd you go? I go, well, that's a whole nother conversation. So um, yeah, I put it to good use. Now you can just send him a link to this conversation and that'll answer his question. Exactly. Um, and uh, maybe they, they can put this up on the video screens there at the airport going, please write budget or whatever. See all the experiences you can have. So. <laughs> but uh, the, uh, one, I know we're uh, near the end here, but one of the amazing things would um, surprise even the, uh, the girlfriend, Renee, is that I said I, I came home with 12 books and also found a few of the old uh, Blue and Gray magazines oh, uh, that were sale there at Corinth and, uh, and Shiloh. I said, look, I come home with 12 books, but I said I only bought one of them. And she goes, what do you mean? I said, well, the stop of the parents, they wanted to hand me a few books. And then John uh, Eric, another great uh, ECW uh, member, gave me a, uh, a great set of books on Florida in the uh, Civil War. So uh, this is the cover of one, the Battle of Lusty, a, a limited print one by a guy named Lewis Schmidt. So um, I think his wife was glad to get these books that literally weigh about five pounds um, out of the house. So yeah, um, it was a great trip when you can get 12 bucks and only buy one of them. So um, yeah, you 12 bucks. You mentioned 4,500 miles, but a lot of us measure our Civil War adventures in pounds of books. Yes. There would have been a lot more. Some of the more bookstores were, uh, were open, but uh, um, I did uh, plan for that, that I not have too many bookstores open uh, by actually bringing a uh, box full of books so I could uh, read and do the research in the hotels at night. So I did uh, preface that um, the chance that I would not be able to hit battlefield bookstores by bringing some of the books that were my to do a reading list with me. So it's um, one of the sacrifices for uh, a pandemic road trip. <laughs> we'll uh, take one for the team. So Phil, thanks so much for spending some time sharing uh, about your time on the road. What a great set of adventures and uh, glad to have you back safely. Oh, thank you, sir. Yeah, thanks for, uh, I know um, your friend and the family are probably glad that I'm sharing this with someone else because they're probably tired of hearing about this road trip because what else are you going to talk about? Uh, when uh, you're in the middle of a pandemic and everyone's just kind of going from work to home. So I'm uh, glad to share it. And uh, yeah, definitely uh, if anybody has any follow-up questions, uh, email the blog. I'm glad to talk about it, especially if you're coming to, to Florida to see sites. So Phil will have some videos up on the ECW YouTube page. He'll also have a couple uh, blog posts from his trip coming up here later this month. So uh, Phil Greenwell, thanks so much for joining us today. Yes, sir. Thank you. Um, it was a pleasure. And a few production notes to finish up for the day. I want to thank our engineer, Jackson Mikowski, for his work in the studio. Also, thanks to the 2nd South Carolina String Band. 
for the theme music that they provide for us every podcast. You can find them online at civilwarband.com. They remain fan favorites and favorites of mine. Thank you very much, guys, for your great music. And don't forget to join us online at emergingcivilwar.com. There are 30 of us contributing free content every day, spreading the gospel of the Civil War, and we want you to be part of that conversation. Join us online at emergingcivilwar.com. On behalf of my guest today, Phil Greenwalt, I'm Chris Mikowski. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you online and on the battlefield. 